often do we have phlegm gargling as the beginning of a podcast, but today we thought we would make it special for you, the listener. This is Going Off Track. My name is Steven. I'm in a different position today in the room, meaning not bodily position. I'm just in a different chair. So not to my immediate left, but directly across from me is our producer, Brad. Hello. You're not just the producer. You do everything. You design the logo. You're working on t-shirts. You make us sound good. I drive the bus. We have a bus? You didn't know? Shit. <laughs> no one told me we had a bus. It's ridiculous. Uh, driving the bus. That's also that's also a position. Yes. A euphemism. Uh, now to my left, uh, Jonah Bear, who is a music journalist, a journalist of all things, but also on his way to becoming a yogi. Is <laughs> I that, think I'm already there. I does that just mean just, you practice yoga? Or? I think it just means you practice oh, yoga. Oh, I thought you had to like aspire to be. Uh-uh. I don't yo- think so. I think it's like being straight edge. You're like, I'm straight edge now. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of bu- uh, buses, do we talk about the Sweet Pickles bus here? No. Probably not. Do you remember those really creepy commercials where this? Yes. The bus would drive up. The man who said yes is Mike Kanjemi, uh, who's a television producer, a documentary film I, director, and knows about Sweet Pickles buses. Yes. <laughs> I thought that the actual bus showed up to give you the games with all those dudes on it. So I ordered it. My mom's like, here it is. And I'm like, wait, where are all the guys in the outfits and Where's stuff? The bus? And she's like, no, it just comes in the mail. <laughs> and I was like so pissed off. I was like, that's false advertising. They say, like, order this thing and we'll, like, drive over. It's pretty rad, too, and the I Sweet Pickles bus. I don't know this. Bus. What is Sweet Pickles? It's, it's like, it was like a, a kid's games and books. And books but, and stuff, But yeah. I rewatched the commercials recently on YouTube, and it's, like, the creepiest thing ever. I was yeah, like, it's... oh, my God, this is terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Creepy, terrifying videos and pickles. Someone had to be aware of that. Uh, for those of you who had just started listening to the podcast, uh, three out of the four of us worked for a music video network called Fuse. Uh, Mike was the producer of a show I hosted called Stevenson's Hot Rock Show. Jonah was the writer. And Brad didn't watch it because he has taste. <laughs> Fuse, years ago would create these really crazy promos. We did a couple for the rock show that were, were, were uh, infamous. There was one set of promos that uh, I have a copy of. They were taken from Fuse. I don't even know if the production company that put them together knows they still exist. I'll have to figure out how we can sneak them up on the web. But they're called Officer Pickles. And there's three of them. The first one is these kids are out front of, in a yard playing. This van drives up. This guy pulls up in the van and looks out and goes, Hey, you guys want to get in this van and watch some videos on Fuse? <laughs> and the kids go, Okay. <laughs> the van opens up and inside is like S&M gear and chains and bondage equipment. And this cartoon pickle wearing a sheriff's costume with a gun belt and a cowboy hat and a badge goes, Officer Pickle's here. <laughs> Don't get into a strange van, even to watch videos on Fuse. You might find yourself in a pickle. <laughs> the second one. What? It's this men's room. There's a guy peeing in the stall. Next to him, there's feet. And this guy from the stall goes, hey. Hey, you want to come in here and watch some videos on Fuse? The guy peeing goes, all right. And goes into the stall. Zoom, Officer Pickles here. Don't go into a strange stall, even to watch videos on Fuse. You might have someone gurking your dill. The third one, and this is the one that's really fucked up, is uh, a little girl is online chatting with another little girl. And she's like, hey, you want to meet me at the playground and watch some videos on Fuse? Okay. 
And she gets there, and it's like this mustachioed old guy in a bikini, obviously a child molester. And I don't even remember what the tagline was, but Officer Pickles comes in and is just like, don't do that. <laughs> obviously didn't clear the censors. Oh but my God. genius. Never occurred to me that, like, they were probably making fun of that whole sweet pickles thing. Yeah, probably. Totally. It was creepy. I mean, but again, as a kid, it looked awesome. Yeah, it looked awesome as a kid for sure. So wait, you, you're like, I want a video game, and these guys it's dressed more as like pickles. A book it was like free like video games. Yeah, it was like oh. it was like coloring games. books. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. Game, like board games and like this weird. It came in like a box shaped like the bus. It was like a big green yeah bus. Everything was like green. I remember as a kid the first time I realized that that I was lied to by by television. I was living in I was living with my grandmother in North Carolina. There was a commercial on TV of a kid wearing Zips. Remember Zips shoes? Maybe it was just in the South, but there's tennis shoes. This kid puts his Zips on, and he goes running in slow motion, which, you know, in the 70s, that meant you were it running fast. really fast. <laughs> <laughs> Six million dollar man. You kid was flying. So he runs in slow motion. It shows him jump up over a bush, and he's just running, and he just leaps. And the bush is obviously nine feet high, but, you know, they cut it right and he lands and he keeps running i'm like i'm gonna get these shoes mom i want zips i got some zips and i tied them and i went outside and i jumped off the porch and fucked myself up. <laughs> <laughs> i remember like but i don't understand <laughs> i'm crying don't try this at home <laughs> like, this is years before any kind of disclaimer it's like now in commercials there'll be a disclaimer like professional driver close course yes. you know <laughs> Slow motion does not indicate that you will be going faster than the speed of sound. There will be no jumping. You are stupid. Remember Reebok pumps? They made everyone feel like they could like, yeah. oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to be way better. All it did was cut the circulation yeah, off at your thing. ankle. Like you just keep pumping it and you're like, what am I doing? I remember playing basketball and being like, hold on guys. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? I remember feeling like it was going to be so awesome. And then I was like, I just can't feel my fucking feet. Like, I'm terrible. I still suck. And I can't feel my feet. They should make them so you pump it and it makes you taller. Like they could do that where it like gives you a few inches or That's something. That's genius. Yeah. Is that the chair? Did you fart? <laughs> no. Awesome. Is that from over there? No, it's oh. a weird sound. I don't know. Wait. What is that? Oh, that's got to be from next door because it's. That's amazing. Oh, you know what it is? It's the chair down there. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. No, it's like it's structural. I think the guys next door are doing something crazy. Okay, the building is falling around us. So I think it's time to cut to uh, the interview. We sat down with Paul Schneider, actor, filmmaker, renaissance man. You might know him from All the Real Girls, Lars and the Real Girl, Parks and the Real Girl, Recreation, <laughs> a lot of girl stuff. And you know you know him, Jonah. I know him. Yeah, we get into that a little bit. I know him for the Thursday guys. Okay. Uh, it's amazing how this gentleman is on our periphery and he came and sat and talked with us and we talk about all kinds of fun, fun things. Uh, you're you're going to literally want to uh, get your head straight afterwards, and you'll know why. Paul Schneider. So, guys, we're here with Paul Schneider. Oh, jeez. Um, actor, music lover. Yeah. Um, and I know Paul through the Thursday Dudes. Yep. Explain. Um, I went to film school with Steve Padula, who was a Thursday dude. Yes. And we lived together in a house and listened to a lot of touch and go. <laughs> when, where did you guys live? North Carolina. So when was this? This was before. 94 to 98. Wow. Where'd you go yeah. to school? North Carolina School of the Arts. Where, where is that? 
It's in North Carolina. <laughs> it's in There's Utah. It's in Southern. <laughs> it's, uh, it's in Winston-Salem. Let me go back. Where, when where I was born, my mother was in a hospital in Charlotte, comma, North Carolina. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> so pick a city that, outside. That, of, there's Asheville. There's Durham. It's in Winston-Salem. Ah, okay. I think you got your guys' personality is dangerously close <laughs> to each other. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> this should be super interesting. <laughs> Hold on. I'm going to start doodling on my iPad. Oh, left-handed. Yeah. Excuse me, my wife's iPad that I pilfered because she forgot. Wait, so you said that you write with your right hand? My left hand. Oh, I thought you said you okay. And you were saying I you did do like I do like things. really specific, but like all sports are righty. Okay. All like even like tennis, one-handed kind uh-huh. of sports. How about bowling? Right. Wow. Yeah, no, I mean no no sports is is left. Interesting. Although I do have to fencing. Oh, that'd be right. Mm. Wait, so do you play guitar? No, <clears throat> no, no, God, no. I don't play guitar. Guitar, guitar still is mysterious to me, and I, I like it that way. Like, I don't get it. Don't want to learn about it. Like, still wow. feel like it's magical, and yeah. And you're a drummer. You should be. We should start a band then, because you're the first drummer that has said anything. Yeah, but it's that. tricky because, like, like I was saying, like the guy, like I was hanging with the guys from ISIS, and and in L.A. when I was living there, there's there was this like. Uh, you know, this cadre of extremely talented drummers. And then they sort of all circled around Danny Carey, the guy from Tool, who's just, you know, he's sort of, the, the, you know, recognized as, like, the guy. And he's got this band called Valto. Do you know this guy? No. It's um, it's him and... Uh, is, ah, I'm going to get these names wrong, but it's him and Johnny Ziegler and... It, it's just, it like they do just do like prog covers at this at this jazz <laughs> yeah, and literally at this jazz venue in the valley called the baked potato and uh and 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 these guys are are um god there's the key the keys player is from kurt what the hell is his name the keys player is from texas <clears throat> and like these guys are just like musicians that make you want to just stop stop even like right. just don't worry about it <laughs> and uh and you know like big fat dudes that aren't ever going to be on tv ever but like the craziest like playing you've ever seen in your life and they you know they would do like yes covers and then they would do um you know like no quarter and and just fun stuff and so we went outside and i was there with with aaron uh, the drummer from isis and in Asheville, North Carolina, when I was there, there was no music scene. There's no hip, you know, lesbian community. There was no, there was nothing. I mean, we had like Travis Tritt come to the Civic Center every <laughs> six months. And that was pretty alternative. But even with like the college stuff? Yeah, no. <clears throat> yeah, there really wasn't. My band used to play there. I guess that was later. But really? That was like, yeah, we would we would always for some reason end up playing. But we would play like, a, like at a house or something. Well, now they have it like a great venue. I don't know how well it, it doesn't sound fantastic, but like you know, I'll I'll randomly hear that like Ghostface Killer just played in my town. I'm just like, how the fuck did this happen when I wasn't there? But like, so so being there, I remember the 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 uh, the Tool album Undertow was like when when that hit, it just like hit me at the right time. It was like dark and weird enough to make me feel dark and weird and. And so I was like, I was just ingesting that band for a long time. And that was one of my first big concerts is driving to Raleigh to see them with failure opening for them. Wow. Which was fucking incredible. 
And I still have like the cassette tape that I reached up <laughs> and grabbed from that failure was throwing out like a like a four song demo cassette tape from uh, songs from that came out on Magnified later. So, anyways, like I, I'm I'm finding myself at the baked potato years and years and years and years and years and years later, and I'm in front of Danny Carey, and he's like, "Yeah, Aaron says you play the drums," and I was like. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't even. I, I. I mean, I couldn't even tell him that I noodle. <laughs> yeah, I own a pair. I own some drums. But do you I'm still not, do you play a lot or? No, I, I mean, how do you play in New York? I don't know. I didn't. I yeah. knew people that I would always have a space, and actually, there are drums of mine that I've loaned to people that are still floating around Brooklyn. Really? Yeah. Cracked symbols that I don't want to think about. I mean, I do have a space here, but like. You know, just paying through the nose and, 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 you know, you just end up not going there and I'm trying mm-hmm. to get rid of it. So what was it like, sort of like a typical night in the 90s living with Steve Padula in, in film school or whatever? <laughs> oh, God. There was, uh, it, it was great. Um, he just seems like such an, it always just seems like such an adult to me. Like, I can't picture him like being like a goofy, I mean, he's goofy, but. He's angry. He's like an angry adult. Yes. Um, and, uh. I mean, it was good that our school was like difficult enough that that we didn't have too much time to fuck around, and because they 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 scoot you through in four years. Like, there's no failing classes. There's no like, if you fail something, you get kicked out. Like, if you don't progress, if they don't feel like you're doing well, then they kick you out. There's no five year plan, and um, and so when we were there, it was uh, it was Steve and Matt and Andy and Kier. And I, and um, and we had a little band downstairs. I don't know if you'd call it a band. We played music downstairs, and there was a lot of like shipping news and Rodan getting played. Wow! And, like who else was big? Mineral. Andy was really big on Mineral, and uh, of course Steve and I were listening to Snapcase and a bunch of you know testicle rock, and. Uh, and and what was great was that our friend Kier was there, this guy Kier Randall, and he was like, I mean, not that he looks it at all, but like he, we were sort of stunned to find out that he was like 12 years older than everybody. <laughs> you know, when you like have got a buddy and you realize, you're 50? How are you 50? You know, we just, I just held your hair back when you were throwing up. <laughs> um, but uh, like our buddy, our buddy Kier came and lived with us um, and I think at that time he had just gone through a pretty painful divorce, which also was like really an old thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> like we're all like 19 and, you know, trying to get our fingers wet. And he's just, you know, just went through a really painful divorce. And what happened is that it came to be known, maybe because he was on, on uh, sort of on eggshells because of this painful life experience they just went through. But my roommates and Steve found out that he, he, uh, he, he scared easily. And so the re- like the rest of that year, it was all about scaring Kier. And um, I- and I didn't really get into it because, I-, I don't know, I was feeling... It didn't feel like frightening the poor divorcee <laughs> no, who was trying really, to change but his I mean, life like, it got to the, Yeah, it got to the point where like uh, Matt or Steve or a friend of ours called Heath would like be in in the shower, behind the shower curtain for 25 minutes <laughs> while Kier shat. And then after, you know, like, I mean, I mean, like any of that's commitment to comedy. Cause like, I, I mean, after five minutes, you're sure no one's in there. You're just right, taking right. a shit. You know what I mean? You're on, you know, you're, you're reading your, your coffee table book in there and, and, and then they would jump out and you just hear these like shrieks, like these Scottish, <laughs> Scottish flavored 
shrieks from the dude who just got divorced. It was terrible. What kind of flavor? Scottish flavor. He was from Scotland. Oh, okay. He was mm. big on um, Idlewild at that time. Oh, yeah. That'll do it. Yeah. Um, but it was fun. It was a lot of, uh, you know, like short films going on downstairs and, and th- it was, uh, yeah, lots of Simpsons and, and it, we definitely, um, <laughs> you know, it was definitely fun with Steve because people thought that he was half black and anytime anyone asked, I was there to confirm what is absolutely untrue. He's just a really dark Italian. <laughs> but down there we don't have Swarthy. dark Italians. You know, we've got blacks and whites. And, That's true. Uh, yeah, he was definitely swarthy. Now, were you, you in North Carolina your whole life? Um, no, I, I I was born in California, but when I was four, my family like took off in a Honda for. I just found out it was four months, just living on the road, and then we settled in North Carolina because I had wow. an aunt there. Oh wow! Yeah. So, were you doing acting stuff when you were in school? No. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, not 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 studying acting. I studied editing. I thought I thought I was just going to cut documentary. I wanted to cut documentaries, um, and then you know, like we'd have little acting exercises, or someone would need, you know, a, a directing exercise, or someone to be in it, and so I would, uh, I, I would act in it um, in an exercise or in a short film, and a, as other people would. But I think I got just enough, like you know, just the right mixture of uh, uh, encouragement slash enjoyment out of it to just sort of like keep you know, edging forward and thinking that it might be a good idea to be in the next short film that someone made. But, you know, the decision to act was never, was, there was no decision to act, you know. So you never did, so did you ever find yourself, I mean, I guess you had to, like, with the agent world and auditioning and things like that. I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. But that was all, like, based on our film we made called George Washington being at the New, mm-hmm. New York Film Festival, and then I like got an agent out of that just very simply based on um, a, 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 a strange connection I made at working at the Virgin Megastore on Crescent Heights in L.A. years before. Um, I met a guy whose phone number I sort of still had years and years later. I dug up his phone number. He knew an agent. I called that agent. You know, they gave me 15 seconds on the phone, you know, just just not really into soliciting phone calls from <laughs> People like me, I got in touch with a woman. She came and saw the film. The next, you know, the next day, I called her up. She said, "Yeah, I'll rep you." And and I was PA on this show called Third Watch in New York at the time. It was just not even. Yeah, so it was it it wasn't so. Yeah, you find yourself mm-hmm. auditioning. You find yourself in this weird yeah. world without ever making that. You know, fifth grade, ninth grade, twelfth grade decision of like, I'm gonna fucking do, you know, I'm gonna do this acting. Like, I never gave it any consideration. See, it's exactly what I did. That's why I'm here now, doing a podcast. You made the decision. Made it not, you know, in a weird way, not similarly. Like, I, I wanted, I wanted to be a director of mm-hmm. theater, and then ended up in L.A. Actually, I guess not, because I went. I helped a friend of mine move to California, and my aunt at the time was like a vet tech, and she was helping out this woman's dog who had been hit by a car she turned out to be this casting director for like saved by the bell and she literally yeah. said i hear you're an actor i'm like well yeah i studied it in school she's like why don't you audition for me and i had super long hair and i ended up being like a stupid surfer on like california dreams for four episodes oh really it was really dumb and really awful and, and that made you say and then i was like well I'm i was like why don't i hang out for a while and and so then i tried auditioning and you know 
did some random things for a while, but that's a hard. It's hard, but yeah, but live. you you started in the deep deep end. I mean, like there is a there is a patina of of date rape all over that town and the yeah. world of auditioning and like making your way up in the like I would never move to New, to to L.A. to be an actor ever. I mean, by the time we went there, my friends and I had made a couple features. We weren't asking anyone for money. It, it, you know what I mean? It mm-hmm. wasn't like me coming to them saying, I've got this great idea. I need some capital investment so I can go make it. It was just like, I mean, it was definitely posturing, but it was, it was posturing that sort of said, hey, we just did this thing. If you, want, you guys want to get on board, great. If not, fuck off. We'll see you at the film festivals. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it became like them being like, whoa, these guys are, you know, we need to get on board with these dudes, as opposed to going out there and saying, we would like to get on board with you. And, uh, yeah, but that's the fucking deep end, man. I feel like you're playing better, but also you have to have that uh, talent to make, the, <laughs> you know, yeah. to make the films and you know, have the creative output and have the story, you know. Yeah, and that, and that, I mean, yeah, it's so hard to make a good film, though. And yeah, it was so get, not a plan; like it was just happened to be advantageous. Like, you, you know what I mean? It was like so not a conscious thing. I mean, you had to want to make the film to begin with, right? Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I, 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 my life tends to uh, head in a direction where the more my brain is involved, the less successful these, you know, like any idea happens to be. Like the stuff that just sort of happens on its own and I'm there to be a part of it, it, it tends to be pretty successful. Well, you also seem to be, and I mean this in a good way, super picky with what you do. Like I feel like you don't really... Do a ton of like I feel like people aren't just going to cast you and whatever and you're like sure I'll I'll do this I'll do this yeah I I, I yeah I just had a situation recently where um um you know there was people that were really uh, I'm sure very nice people that were pretty like I I respectfully passed and then they respectfully came back and said we were really you know and I was like look the reason you like me is because I don't do the shitty movies that you're about to make <laughs> like you won't like me once I do your movie right um but but I think I think that has to do with uh I never you know like I I never intended to act in the first place so I, I was not like the the like the um you know the 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 ninth grade drama kid who was like, I'm going to fucking do this hell or high water. And, 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 and it was never like a deep burning desire inside me. Like it was like when I was 17, I saw the movie, the piano, like, but pre seeing that movie, I was just doing acid and not even, (laughs) I figured I would go to college, but while all the other kids were like first choice school, second choice school, backup school, Second back, like I, I, I didn't apply to anything, and and I saw the the piano. I found out that there was a film school that was two years old. I was in the second class of that film school. It had just happened. Like it, like they had had the arts conservatory there for many years. There's a great drama school there. That's it's known for dance, and I mean it's pretty successful in those in those uh, in those disciplines, but. Film was brand new. I found out about it. I applied to one college. I got into one college. And I just wanted to be a part of the making of films. Like, I, I, I like the sort of, like, expeditionary aspect of, like, we've got this team. We're going to go. We've got this goal, you know, a finite period of time. We've got this equipment. And we're going to go do it, and then it's going to stop on this date. And... And I thought I, I would be involved as, as an editor. That's how I thought I was going to be involved. And that was cool. And it just so happened that we had a really great editor in our, in our little team. And th- 
literally just started acting because there was no one else there, you know? <laughs> yeah, but that also helps out. I mean, there's that, we've talked about this many times where it's, it's not, you know, can you do it, but are you cool to hang, you know? I, I think that's how people get most jobs. Yeah. I mean, if you're Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. that's another, you know I mean? That's a whole nother ball game, you know, because talent like that, or like, I think of like Anthony Hopkins in Elephant Man. Like you just can't stop, you know, you di- if that guy is the biggest fucking asshole in three counties, it's okay. Like just, just film him being an asshole. Like it'll be good. <laughs> but, but I mean, I've seen more, I've seen famous big time actors lose jobs because, you know, in the, in like the casting uh, um, phase, lose jobs because, I mean, at the end of the day, like you're going to cast somebody who, I mean, at the end of the day, everybody can do the job. It's not a question of uh, like, like uh, ability, like, can you, you know, like it's like great drummers at a certain, at a certain level, everyone can physically, technically, practically play anything that you can play. It's not like Manu Kache can play something that Omar Hakim can't. It's just what flavor do you want on an wow, album? Wow, you are a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> you just dropped it right there, like I bam. I, I've, I've been listening to Both those guys have, lately. Both have listened to a lot of Peter Gabriel lately? <laughs> no, I, I don't like Peter Gabriel at all most really, of the that's time. A damn well, no, no, post, you know, post 1990. I, <clears throat> actually, I really did like Peter Gabriel, but I saw his last tour. Uh, the thing on the is he, he's on a Segway on stage. What? Yeah. It was pretty. <laughs> what was innovative for him has caught up to be shtick now. It's kind of yeah, a, you see yeah. the one where see the video where he's hanging upside down for the song, you know, right side up. Like wow, there you go. <laughs> oh, the I, irony. You, know, you can't stay relevant forever. <laughs> oh, but I, I, I mean, look, I love I love the the idea of that guy and, oh, yeah. and his recording studio and world music and fantastic, but. Yeah, the studio's sick. It's like, have you seen thing. it? Oh, yeah, I haven't yeah. been there, but you ever? Yeah, it's the one where it's it, on a duck pond. Yeah, yeah but exactly. it's but it's right also by a train track, so they can't record when the train comes by. I did not know that. That's 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 true. Yeah. yeah. So they have but, to like but he stop. Surmised that that the the location and the pond and all that shit outweighed the right the shitty timetable train situation. That's mm-hmm. interesting. And plus, with a, it's just a regular train, you could probably figure out what the schedule is. Yeah, I think they have. Yeah. I remember the maybe we saw the same. I think it was it's on the like, Smith subway. What, what, that's what going on the, it's like on the Smithsonian channel or something. I think you're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how these. Special. I know because I know I'm a fucking. I know geek. it doesn't surprise <laughs> like, me. You know it at all, know. but it seems like the most obscure thing. <clears throat> I like Peter Gabriel. So there was a story, uh, the recent story I saw about him working with a bunch of. Uh, for Peter Gabriel, very normal and boring, but African. Um, musicians who play specific instruments to that region of say Ghana or wherever they were from. But this group happened to be HIV positive, which is sadly very common in Africa. And then, but no one wanted to record them there. So he did. And and throughout that, it gets to this point where they talk about the creation of the studio, bringing these artists in and tuning and everything. The place is nuts to look at. I think I saw the same thing. You You know, there's a documentary on the making of Graceland. The Paul Simon. The Paul Simon. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Another album that's like, I I mean, Paul Simon, great. I really don't give a shit. You know what I mean? It's just like, I'm going to go get the new Meshuggah album way faster than I'm going to get any Paul Simon album. But like those, like those guys that are sort of singularly famous, like Peter Gabriel and Sting and Paul Simon, 
guys that have made great music and doesn't really speak to me very personally have in fucking incredible studio musicians on all oh, yeah. their like they hire like the fucking ninja yeah. you know like the Nashville ninja guys the kind of guys that play on um I think Tony Robin Plant Allison Krauss what is it R- raising sand or whatever that album was right. that won a grammy mm-hmm. like those kinds of musicians that are never going to be known the are, people that show up and you go it's an f and you don't even give them sheet music and they just I know go. I I used to do a lot of work like that when I first moved to New York. No, I didn't play. I, I was in yeah. the studios. I'll never forget this one guy, Ira Siegel. He played on a lot of a lot of records. <clears throat> Great guitar player, but we were doing something, and uh, the producer's like, "Oh, you know, I could really, I could really hear an acoustic on this." And I was like, "Well, you didn't tell me to bring it. I don't have an acoustic guitar." And the engineer goes, "I think we've got an acoustic guitar here in the in the closet. Oh, but it's strung up for right-handed." And we, you know, this is where it was like a jingle session. Everything's like bang, bang, bang. Like we don't have time to restring the guitar. I was like, oh, that's okay. Just bring it out. You would think, right? Okay. He's a great guitar player. You'd think he'd go like, okay, roll it. Let me figure out the chord. He, he, got, he, they gave him the guitar. He tuned it. He said, okay, roll tape. <laughs> and he played the, and he played the acoustic guitar one take better than upside down, better than I could ever play it. Like right side up. And I was like, that's beyond another level that's and like that, he can yeah. play his ass off and then he can play backwards yeah but that's that's what makes <clears throat> like watching guys like that so i mean on some days you feel very intimidated and on, on other days you feel very inspired like like but you don't see like the tiny steps that he took from where you know from i don't know second grade or however old he was when he started playing you know all you, you're coming in at yeah, like yeah. step one hundred and fifty nine thousand. A step that I didn't even know existed. Right, exactly. <laughs> but like you know, like he's on you know he's on Galaga like level forty five, right. and and <laughs> you know what I mean. Like like if he's if almost I, to the kill screen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a kill screen coming up, guys. Hey kill, guys, kill screen over here. There's a kill screen coming up. Um, <laughs> don't you want to punch that fucker like yes. right in the fucking face? That's the worst. <laughs> that, I hate that guy. So that dude much. is worse than Billy Mitchell, I think. Yeah, way worse. Yeah. He's like he's like Vichy French. He's like he's like every turncoat of all of, all of history. He's like oh, yeah, the smiling asshole. It's a kill string coming up, and and he's on the phone like on, giving everybody. Billy the the play by play. Oh, terrible. oh man. Steve Weeby, Weeb, Weeby? Weeb? No, it's Weeby. 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 I think it's yeah. Weeby. Yeah. Aren't, there, aren't they making a movie out of him? I fucking hope. The I king, wonder who's the King of Kong. Who's, Somebody's playing it because I was just reading about it. Who's the winner now? Because I felt like it was went back and forth after that documentary came out. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I think the prologue to the documentary was that Steve, like he came out the winner, but then I think somebody else beyond Billy and Steve are, is now the. As long as it wasn't that kill screen dude. Come on, you think he that was guy trying? Is... He had like a record for something though, too. Remember, he yeah, he it was, was like it was like Joust or something. You know, it was oh just, yeah, it was like, the Joust. Yeah, it was like <laughs> or it was like it was like my record is on is for Pitfall on original Nintendo, not the stand-up game, just the original. Like that guy's got no real record. And and what was his deal? Like he just made a shitload of money, and now he lives on Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. Like, just, wait, which dude? Like the dude who the kill screen guy, like the turncoat, really? the fucking yeah. Because remember, like at at what's the what's the name of the arcade that is the? It's like it's not Play World, but it's like um, 
Game. It's yeah. It's something. Something. It's so world. Acme. Yeah. You know. It's like yeah. Acme Arcade. It's like it's like Game Town or something. You know. Game place. Actually, is it play? No. Play. It's place. It's like this seems like something you would know. GameSpot, GameStop, Game. or no? I think that's a store. Fuck yeah! You're right. This will go on for years. <laughs> Anywho. But but the guy just lived at the lake, like like it, it, I think very briefly in the film, um, the the film uh, they they mentioned that he had like somehow made some money and then he just like stopped working, and he it was like twenty eight in the movie. I don't know how old he was. Those like, of you playing the home game, we just went from Omar Hakim <laughs> to King of Kong. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Bam. You know it's interesting because I feel like every time we hang out, we either watch a documentary. Or talk about documentaries. Do you? Last time we watched Crude, which was mind blowing. Do you remember that one? The what, the Joe Berlinger, Bursanovsky yeah. oil thing. Yeah, I haven't seen that. That's on my really. We probably thought, talked about it. Maybe we watched. Or no, um, we. Watched, I tend to have that disease of like I can talk a lot about films I haven't seen. I feel I like, just, I've just read something. Oh, I know that guy. That's terrible. <laughs> That's my entire life, Tiger. Sometimes I'll. I feel. That I read something, and then I know, well, that's going to come up later. Like I know that, like that little piece of information will serve me in some kind of conversation, interview, job, whatever. It'll just, it'll show up, and nine times out of ten, it does. And so that brief easy. instant, I'll sound real smart, but I know that I don't know shit. It's so easy. <laughs> I, when I when I first went to L.A. to, I, you know, I auditioned in L.A. for a couple of years before I actually moved out there, and I, I remember I went out there and I was, uh, I mean, as you know, as an actor, people think that you are insanely egotistical and fucking stupid. Like, like they just assume that you're a fucking idiot. Um, and and you go to these casting sessions or you know you meet these casting directors and the bar is so low that making them think you're a genius is is incredibly easy so like i used to i i was i was in the middle of the book um uh, uh from beirut to jerusalem that thomas friedman you know sort of primer on palestine and israel and and i very like conspicuously pulled that out in the office <laughs> And you know, you see this like tired woman come out to to greet me, and like the minute she sees somebody not reading us weekly <laughs> or or whatever, you know, like or 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 okay or whatever, she was just like, oh my god, that guy is. And and then and then I I kind of noticed there was a change in her, so I went home and I got a book that I really don't understand. It's uh, Victor Frankl's. He wrote the Man Man's Search for Meaning, which is a fantastic book. And then his next book is called Man's Search for Ultimate Meaning, and I don't understand it at all. Like he goes from it's like the steps. Like he goes from step one, which is like the beginner series, and he just goes straight to like triple PhD style, not subway reading at all. And but I brought this book in, to, you know, it's like you know, it's like bringing in a physics book. <laughs> and they and and I remember uh, my girlfriend at the time worked as an assistant uh, to a, to a producer, and just through the grapevine at the end of that day. Someone had called her. She didn't tell this person that she that called her at the office that she was dating me. And and just in the course of conversation, um, he, this person uh, said, "Yeah, word on the street is Paul Schneider's a really smart guy." <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, I'm going to bring a hard to understand book to everything. You don't have to read it. <laughs> and I feel like every time I see someone on the train reading like Infinite Jest, I'm like, 
Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> like, check back with me in a month. Did you get through that? I got, I had a couple tries, and I even had a book that was like a guide to reading it that I bought in Europe. It's <sighs> terrifying. And a I guide got to reading the book. Yeah, because it's like it's yeah. one of those. He's a really big. David Foster Wallace is really big into footnotes and like super long footnotes. So you'd but be like reading twenty pages, right? Yeah, like, like yeah. and that book had a lot of medical stuff in it too. So he'd say something about a drug, and then you'd go in the back, and it'd be like print this big, seven pages, and it, and uh, I got maybe like. Three quarters halfway the through. The phrase it twice. "really into footnotes" just makes me mad. Yeah, like I I read I read the name of the rose, Umberto Eco. Yeah, Foucault's Pendulum. Dude, it another book that I know the name of and have not read. Right on. <laughs> I read the book and I was uh, substitute teaching in Los Angeles at the time, and worked at one school basically for four years. And teachers trusted me and would throw me in. And you know you have teachers that will let you go in and teach. Teachers mm-hmm. that say, "Look, it's on autopilot today." And here's like, bring a video. You know, so I taught this class that was like super brainiac kids. It was an interesting school. They had a magnet school, and then it had, you know, the drug kids and the the gang kids and whatever. Which I got actually offered a job to teach them. <laughs> they said, "Will you go in there?" And I was like, "Why?" Because no other sub will. And it was a stupid, dangerous minds thing where I'm like, just say fuck once, they'll shut up. And- <laughs> They respond to that. And I did. It was fine. But I, I was reading the name of the rose, and there was a giant Oxford English dictionary on the teacher's desk. And I would read it, and I'd put the book down. I'd open the dictionary, and I'd flip through like 30 yeah. pages, read it, flip through it. At one point, one of the kids went, Mr. Smith, what are you reading? And I went, I don't know. <laughs> it's half in Latin. Don't understand Latin. Oh, it was fun. I mean, I got, I mean, I was getting smarter just by reading it. Yeah. I didn't retain any of it. And then I made the mistake of watching the Sean Connery uh, film of Name of the Rose, directed by the same dude who did Quest for Fire and starring. I, I know. I, this is, I've seen this film. Yeah. It, it was produced by Bernd Eckinger. And, and I can't remember the fucking. Are you sure you've actually seen it? Or no, Gerard Bra- seen yeah, it? no, no. Like, yeah. this is a, Gerard Brock wrote it, it with. Uh, he used to be a writing partner of Roman Polanski. And I can't remember the director, but this was there. There's a really explicit sex scene oh, yeah. in this film where Christian Slater bones that. Well, I can't even say he bones the shit out of this really beautiful Italian little girl. Yeah, I don't know she's like her. she's like a kitchen waif, and he's a he's a Franciscan. Yeah, she's got a smudge of grease on her. You know, she's 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 no, she's picking through the trash. Like she's oh, okay. like one of the poor people outside of like the castle yeah. gates, or, or no, no, the monastery gates, right? And uh, she sneaks her way in, and and you know her face is muddy and greasy because she's been in you know what 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 amounts to a dumpster back then. And then the minute she takes off her clothes, she's got like a glistening you know tanned. Yeah. And not a hair on her. Like no no not at all. And 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 it was pretty explicit. And I was watching it with my mother, and there was one of those like, I'm gonna go get some more coke. You know, moments. <laughs> just like you know like I I couldn't really sit there with. Then take advantage, mom. What are they doing? Yeah. What's that move called? Yeah, not at all. Yikes. <laughs> that always amazes me how... You didn't like that film? film no, I thought it was terrible. It was nothing like the book. Maybe I didn't 12. need to pause it every... <laughs> so much older. Yeah. Uh, I, did not, I didn't dig it at all. I remember the, the, my girlfriend at the time watching it, she just had no idea what was going on. And of course, we're watching it on a small TV, still with a VCR in the television. Yeah. You know what I've been Very dealing classy. with lately, which is really bad because this is like the op- it's bad for my job as a critic, 
sometimes I feel like I can't tell if I like something or not. <laughs> but like it happens to me, not really with music, but especially with movies and TV people. Do you see that? I'm like, yeah, like, did you like it? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like I could say I hated it or I loved it and I don't think I'd be lying either way. <laughs> right. And I feel like I've gotten that way with like food and stuff. I'm like, it's food. Like it doesn't matter. Like keeps me alive. Yeah. I just sometimes I'm like, how do I know if I really like something that I think I like? Yeah, but I mean that that goes along with this thing I've been thinking a lot about lately, which is why do you think you know what's best for you? You know what I mean? Like for you as a person, as yourself. Yeah, for yourself, like in your life, like the decision, like trust yourself. I mean, there's all this like societal influence to trust yourself, listen to your heart. You know, like like you know, believe in yourself. And I think to myself. How many people do I know that have a fucking surplus of happiness because they have trusted their own decision making and and like they're all and, in rehab. Yeah, and like and like yeah. taken the direction in their life that they have felt is best. Like how many people fucking wind up in, you know, damaging relationships over and over again because they're trusting themselves or or, or like oh, yeah. you know, trusting your gut, believing in yourself. I don't, I, I'm starting to think that this brings, me, this brings me to a powerful segue because the first person I thought about was my therapist. Wow. Who I turned on to a film called Lars and the Real Girl. And he wow. went and saw it four times in the theater. And he would come back and like, the movie is just amazing. And at the end, he would go, and what's great about it is there's no way that guy's going to get better. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he's a damaged, damaged person. I'm surprised that movie was any good at all. Like the, the director was such a cocksucker <laughs> that um, I really just like a monolithic asshole, um, and not like a you know not like a like a you know passionate indie director. Like he he was a fucking millionaire commercial director before that film. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like you know uh, you know grassroots in any way, but. Um, I mean, just so tone deaf. I mean, the 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 sort of the word on set was that he had Asperger syndrome. Like it was just too, uh. like he was just too emotionally. It just uh, um, uh, there's no compassion if you have Asperger's. There's yeah, no, really, no. He just he, you, you no like, f- he would say things that were just like, "Do you have any idea how that could be taken as extremely rude?" And I mean, no, really, no. <laughs> and so the fact that like that movie was like emotionally or psychologically cogent in any way is amazing. It's got to all go to the actors, I guess. No, it's got to go with the writer. There's yeah. this fantastic writer. This Dude, woman. I think it makes more sense if he's got Asperger's if he doesn't know it. And then you look at what that film is about and you know, someone who is disassociated with real life and has a, for those of you playing the home game, you know, has a, a life doll that he falls in love with and lives with and becomes... You know, a, a better person. That's how he relates. You know, but that's how he would direct Ryan to do. I mean, like that would make sense if he was if he was directing Ryan to be like that. Uh-huh. But but you have to have this like sort of meta sense for the whole. You know, it's like like you've got to sort of realize that um, you know that these you know these scenes are going to affect an audience emotionally in this way, and that's going to you know and th- that. And may, you know maybe he's really good at that and terrible at explaining it or acting like he's good at it. But um, but you know he didn't direct Ryan at all. He was doing his own thing, and he certainly didn't direct Emily and I. Um, but uh, but but I think that was just I think that was a case of the the writer um, 
um, had just had such a good idea that it was like it was sort of not bulletproof, but it was like it was a really good idea. Yeah, it's a solid. I mean, I, I dug that film. So yeah, I think I interviewed Emily uh, when that film came out. That's I actually because don't go out to movies much because I tend to yell at people in movie theaters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which in New York is just bad. Um, but I went to see it. I, I love going to screenings. Like people who shut the hell up and you can't eat. Awesome. Sign me up for everything. I'll see crap. But uh, <laughs> I saw that and really, really dug it. In fact, I think I went again. Really? Yeah. It's one of those flicks. I dug it. Worked out. Yeah, I, I was interested to find it to see that that thing actually actually worked. But yeah, that's like another one of those like what like like in going back to being picky about things like that was the only thing I liked that you know that year like you know you read so many scripts and there's so much shit out there and I think the uh, the I think the two paths generally sort of the generally um, held two paths are like you and the same is true for bands like you either saturate the airwaves you know with you know you do everything you know good stuff bad stuff tv film commercials you know you just do everything it's like the bradley cooper approach of just like fucking saturate the airwaves with you and then you'll get famous um or there's the you know there's the um really hot girl not fucking anybody in high school model <laughs> that's like that bitch is hot I mean, she just just keeps getting hotter and hotter because she doesn't let anybody see the cookie <laughs> and, and, and you know what I mean, and and I'm not suggesting that I'm a hot bitch, but like it, it my personality is one that like I, I think I just don't want to be in that much stuff. I don't necessarily want to be recognized on the street. I would like to join a group of people to make a, a film, um, sort of in that expedition way I was talking about earlier. But you know, you can you can go one of two ways, but the problem is if you're in this, you might not work for nine months, which will fucking drive you out of your head. And if you do the saturate, saturate the airwaves model, then my fear was always, like, if I play Matthew McConaughey's buddy in a, ro- a romantic comedy, you know, like getting into, like, the Breck and Meyer world, if I, if I do that, I'm going to be so angry on that movie that I'm that I'm going to like not open any doors for myself, you know. The idea is that you would be in a really stupid popular movie and then you could go and do all the artsy fartsy stuff you you want to do because by then you'd be famous. Do you feel like you're trusting yourself in that model? I, I don't know if I'm trusting myself as much as I'm like, yeah, I, I I take your point. Like as much as I'm just like my constant it's not about trusting my brain, it's about <laughs> trusting my gut. And like my constitution is one that's just like you know, I'm such a tortoise. Like, I don't want to work a lot. I don't want to work, you know, I, I mean, I, I work incredibly hard for short periods of time. Well, it kind of worked for Johnny Depp until basically Pirates of the Caribbean. You know what I mean? Like, if you looked at his career model up until that point, except maybe Astronaut's Wife, which is kind of a weird flick. But, you know, I remember what was the first one was, you know, really Crybaby. John yeah. Waters. Yeah. And then I remember seeing... Well, 21 Jump Street. Well, yeah, but then like he... Yeah. But say your constitution, according to him, he got super sick. He was in a band. Yeah. And that's all. That's what he was known for. Well, yeah, he went to Hollywood to, to be a rock star. Yeah, he was in a band called The the Kids out of Florida. Yeah. And he, you know, like, uh, what are some other movies that he did? That were, I mean, just by working with Tim Burton, you know, it kind of broke Tim Burton's model with Edward Scissorhands. It's a weird 
weird flick, you know? Yeah. But yes. what what bands are like that? Like what what's the band example of like the people that I mean what I would aspire to is like do quality things and not much of them. Um it, it, like what's the band example of like like Radiohead or something. I would say Fugazi, you know, like, Fugazi and then I would say go back even older. I'd say XTC. You know, I mean, look at that kind of band. Yeah, that's like, true. I, my dad used to hold up as an example. <clears throat> this is an old one. The Beatles, as like he 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 was he, he, he admired the fact that he thought that all their early stuff was just commercial schlock. Which I mean, people love that shit. But right. he was like, yeah, this was like just what everybody else was doing. They did this so that they could get famous and do what they wanted to do. I'm like, yeah, then they made, you know, whatever, three records and broke up. But, but, so that's an example of somebody who took all, you know, who they took the, all the roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and they were working, I mean, they put out a lot of records in those early years. Yeah, you get to the point where you can, <clears throat> I, I had an acting coach in LA who always said, you know, if you're only getting hired as the whore, Take all the roles you can as the whore until you make enough dough. You can write your own fucking ticket and then play Lady the, Macbeth. The problem is that the reason that other bands, I can only talk, speak to the bands because I'm, I'm sure that, but you get caught up in the, the that early stage that they were in of making commercial songs that were successful and sounded like everything else. Like most bands are afraid to get out of that. Once they have the success, they're afraid to and their like, overhead experiment. gets really yeah gets exactly really well how about then, the band we're all missing <laughs> it's not even about the money it's about you know you don't want to you don't want to run off and experiment and you don't want to strangle it. the the golden the goose you got to really love doing for for the art whether it's film or you know and that's what when you first started talking about this it was obvious that you you know you you're taking these roles because you enjoy it as opposed to I have a huge ego and I want to be famous and want people to love me well there's like two you know i i i i there's two people there's two i think i think there's two kinds of people that that start acting there's one person that starts acting because he fucking loves himself and the idea of his face 50 fucking feet tall is just i mean <laughs> yeah. it's just like he wants to like jerk off <laughs> in a room of mirror like you know like <laughs> it, it, like he just loves and there's another person who fucking hates themselves and wants desperately to be something else and they you know, that's their chance right and I, I, I mean, obviously, you can imagine what camp I fall into. <laughs> um, but, but there's like that, that example is, I just such such a dangerous thing. Like last night, I was watching a documentary about Irish music of all things, and they talked about these things called show bands. And show bands were, I was fixing some shoelaces and watching at the same time, so I don't know if I got everything correct. But uh, show bands were like 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 dance bands, like. Like doo wop, you know, that would like go around the, you know, like they, like wedding wedding singer type bands that would just go around the country, and and Bob Geldof was talking about how they were fucking shit, how they ruined the beginning of Irish music, how they were just horrible, horrible things, and Van Morrison was talking about how, he, you know, you're like yeah, we didn't play anything good, it was all shitty music, but I really learned how to sing while I was doing this like churning right. out kind of bad music, but. But you're working every three days, right? Fixing um, shoelaces—that's where I'm yeah, stuck. Yeah, but I felt like Van Morrison you, when he was in them. I felt like they were—that kind of was a door for him. I feel like weren't they more commercial kind of than? Yeah, well, the show bands were, were before that. Okay, I see what you're saying. And, and like, like he—I mean, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of people who will say act as much as you possibly can. You know, take every gig. Right. 
play every, I don't know. I mean, play every style of music that's sort of popular to the day because you can, I don't know. It just seems like a very different kind of person that's yeah. going to. Well, I think well, you, you're going the more, uh, to, to your previous question, what band? I don't think it's Radiohead. I think it's the Flaming Lips. I think that's the model, which has always been, when I, when I first listened to the Flaming Lips, which was in college, which I think was a priest-driven ambulance. I think it was the record. They were still doing, like I heard that and I was like, wow, this came out, you know, like around the time, nothing shocking. Like they were, they were doing what they wanted to do when, and they've still always fit that model, but they've been able to do it in a major label world, like on a major label. They've right. been able but to put it. It seems like out. the world came to them and they are having a laugh at the fact that they're just goof offs. Totally. Exactly. And, but I, that's <laughs> such a rare, I mean, like, Seems like a very rare thing. Actually, I was just li- looking up Dave Fridman's discography yesterday because I spent some time with because Dave Fridman produced Thursday's last two albums, and he's got a fucking great studio in Fredonia. Yeah, for, yeah, exactly. That's three you, records. You were, you were there, right? I've been invited. I never actually made it up there. Oh, man, sadly, what a great guy. I've heard he's awesome. And who's the who's the who is the extremely talented multi instrumentalist like musical brain in Flaming Lips? Wayne Coyne. Not not Wayne. The, it's oh, the other oh, guy. Oh, Stephen um, Droz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Droz. Droz. I don't yeah, know how to yeah, pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, the guy who was the um he was the drummer and was like moved out front. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean Wayne. I think Wayne Coyne is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. I I feel like he's more of like the front man yep. genius, like the sort of the uh, the uh, you know publicity genius. Yeah. But Stephen, I think, was the guy who was bad on heroin for a while. Yeah. And when he kicked heroin, he kicked it on fucking Dave Fridman's couch. You know, with Dave Fridman's young kids, you know, around, and and that's not a testament to how like you know the, the how you know careless Dave Fridman is. It's like a testament to like how cool he totally. is, like like that he would allow this like you know this really great friend of theirs to like you know come to their house and and get healthy. But spending time in his studio was. I'm sure. Amazing. Well, yeah, he even shot up in that Fearless Freaks documentary, in that Lips documentary. Yeah, There's a scene where he, he shoots did, heroin did. on camera. Yeah. But do you feel like, as far as the publicity stuff, like, and we can edit this part out, but I feel like I just remember hanging out with you one time and someone sort of recognizing you and you just being like, no, that's not me, which it seems going just the that's, other that's way. Terrible. Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I've matured a little. I had a friend of mine who was like, Paul, fucking grow up. You know, like, because, like, you know, the first time you're recognized, it's just, I mean, my brain walks out of the, you know, out of my brain's bedroom and just goes, well, 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 who's the, who's got the big fucking head now? You think everybody thinks you're fucking cool? Well, let me tell you something. You're not fucking. And I'm like, I didn't fucking do anything. I'm just standing here. Like somebody on the subway said, were you the guy in that movie? And I said, I was. And then my brain's just like, wow, maybe he fucking recognized you because you're a fucking asshole. And it's just like, well, I, I didn't do anything, you know? Like, and so I'm always trying desperately not to give my brain any ammunition. And there was actually, uh, there was a moment that I got out of. I mean, and and you know, in, in as another qualification, it doesn't happen that often. You know what I mean? But one time, a couple of years back, I was getting out of the First Avenue L stop, and I was walking, and somebody did a double take, 
And I just very casually thought to myself, wow, I wonder if that guy recognizes me from a movie. And then, of course, my brain, you know, with his underwear on, <laughs> stomp, you know, putting out a cigarette, stomps out from the TV room going, well, 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 you know, like who's fucking full of themselves? Mr. Paul Schneider thinks he's so cool. And I'm like, I didn't fuck it. I don't think I'm cool. I just, I mean, look, that, you know, it's like you're in the right neighborhood for someone who might have seen all the real girls. You, you, the guy kind of has the right outfit, you know, is sort of of the age range. And it was just like a casual thought, curiously wondering if this person... So all the way down to 10th Street, my brain is just kicking my asshole in. Like, like you know, maybe I was recognized because he fucking hates your acting. And maybe that double take... You know, like maybe he spat on the ground, you know? And, and I'm like, fine, maybe he spat... Like, I'm, I'm desperately trying to defend myself from my asshole brain, like getting down to my friend's apartment. And finally, like, I come to the conclusion when I reach her door, like... Fine, I'm a fucking asshole. The only reason that guy double taped me, double taped, because because he fucking hates me and he hates everything I do. Fine, are you happy? And my brain's like, kinda. I'm okay, and I'm like, fine, you're good. I'm See, a dick. You're awesome. And he's like, great. And then I knock on the door, and then right behind me, there's somebody says, um, excuse me. And I turn around, and these two girls are like. Were you the guy in all the real girls? And like my brain comes back out and goes, well, well, well. And it's just like it's all back over again. It's just it, there's no way to win in that situation. See, I feel this means you you don't know what's best for you if your brain is fighting you all the yeah. time. Are you kidding me? No, I, I absolutely don't know what's best for me. You know, I mean, you know, we talked about meditation. I mean, like everyone's just trying to with therapy and meditate. Like everyone's just trying to. Find, you should like, meditate because if you met that brain while you're meditating, I don't think it would end up well. Maybe your brain does Dude. know what's best for you, and he's mad. no. The thing is, though, the thing is, though, the thing is, oh, that's a conversation. That's like eight years of therapy in a conversation. But, but, but the, the secret that I learned is, is that I, I have to go listen to that brain and I have to go chat with him. Really? Yeah. So are you in therapy? Are you in therapy? Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. I was in therapy at 15, at, at 21. Oh, at, really? You know, yeah. And then I started going like, Really, I mean, I have mental illness like shot through my family tree like a fucking sieve. Like, really? It's, yeah, it's not even funny, and um, that's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> and and I think around 27, I was in L.A. and I uh, no, I want to say like maybe 29, 30. That was when I was like, nope, can't take this anymore, you know. And I went, I went to my, I went, to, I found a, a shrink, and I went to him, and I was like, I'm fine. I don't need any therapy. I just need you to help me kill my brain and then I'll get out of here. You know, like, like it's no, no problem. Like, I'm fine. My parents are awesome. Don't you say a thing about them. You know, like, and then of course, you know, for, for once a week sessions, year, years later, he, he dropped the whole integration word on me. Cause I was trying to separate my whole life. Like, get that fucking critical asshole brain away from me. Fuck him. He's the one that causes all the trouble. And he was like, you can't get him away from you. He's in your head. And I was like, fuck. And then, yeah. Then the word transference comes in. And then, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just happened to me at yoga. Like, I was like, I always feel so good when I do yoga. I do yeah. a lot of it. And then this guy came in to give this lecture about spiritual bypassing that I watched online. And the whole, like, gist of it is, like, all the stuff in your child. Like, when you're on the yoga mat, you're not, like, in reality. And you're ignoring stuff. And it actually isn't good. You need to, like, confront all the stuff from your childhood. Yeah, and your yeah, yeah. And it's, I was like, oh. Now the thing that go. finally I liked is like tied into all my other weird neuroses, and it's like I know, I mean, you gotta you gotta like you know you gotta m- make a mess of your bedroom <laughs> if you want to clean it up. Yeah, know? exactly. Like, that's the fucking worst. I remember having that experience of man. I thought I had a 
Good time growing up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you, and, and, and it was fucking horrible, I'm realizing. I, I had this experience where I was sitting in therapy and I was talking about something and I went, you know, like my childhood, man, my childhood sucked. And he went, yeah, I've been trying, yeah. <clears throat> like listen to all these stories. And my wife will always say, I never made the connection for years. I'll start telling a story and she went, can you stop talking about when you were a kid? Like, why is it? Because it always ends with something horrific that you have been warped into thinking is just funny and it's something horrible. And then I get on the phone with my mother, who now that she's a grandmother is proving the Bill Cosby statement correct. Like, just, you know, she's an old person trying to get into heaven. Um, <laughs> she tells the story about how she, she gave my daughters, um, you had these things, you go to the shopping, you get the shopping cart and you pull out this giant thing and you put it in the shopping cart then you put your kid in and it's supposed to keep the filth of the shopping cart away right. from it so um she said yeah, from it, like, yeah. A, like a body con away from it the kid for, <laughs> for grocery stores excuse me allergies um and uh <clears throat> she said oh man remember when you were three and you just fell out of that shopping cart and hit that side over with a crack i'll never forget that sound <laughs> yeah. like an egg being smacked with the hammer and i'm like where the hell were you when this happened a couple weeks later, I'm on the phone with my grandmother, who just turned 89. <coughs> Excuse me. And she went, oh, remember that time in the shopping cart where you went falling out at 3 o'clock? And I went, what the hell were you? You were there too? <laughs> Was no one watching me? Uh, but the needle has to go that far in the other, other direction to figure out. I mean, you're talking about like you can't figure out whether you like or don't like something. And we can't figure out whether or not we had good or bad childhoods. Right. And I think what happens is that you, for a long time, you think, that was fun. You know, like you think it's great because everything is your fault. And if it wasn't great, it's your fault, but everything is great. Um, and besides, there are people starving in Africa. And I'm a very lucky Western, you know, person. <laughs> Edit out me having the plague. And, 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 then, and then you like reach the point where you realize, oh, wait, the world is more complex than, than one person being able to suffer at, at a time. Like, you know, like, yeah, you can have a shitty child and people can still be fucking starving and sick. Right. And then for a while you go through therapy thinking, like, my childhood was fucking horrifying. And then you meet in the middle, I think, somewhere and realize my parents are trying to do the best they can. I was, you know, whatever, you know, whatever choices I made to make my brain such a dick, they really were the right choices at the time. It's just that choice became, you know, plus 30 years, it's a terrible choice, you know. But at that moment, it really was the, the best adaptation. But, you know, not going through therapy, I just, I, 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 think, to my, like, like, I think to myself, like, not, like going through life without going to therapy, like I feel like not going through therapy, like not trying to meditate, not doing that stuff is like it's like the Wizard of Oz without the scene where Toto pulls on the curtain and you realize that the the wizard is just this old guy pushing buttons. Like you go through all of your life thinking, why do I think these things? Why do I feel these things? Well, who knows? And then you like there's no discovery whatsoever. It's like waking up in your bedroom every morning. And you're like, man, this place is a fucking mess. I, I cleaned up last night. A and then you clean up again, and then you wake up in the morning, you're like, man, this fucking place is a mess. Like, underwear is everywhere. Right. 
and then you clean up again and you like uh, over fucking 12 years you realize oh there's a there's a really mean homeless dude living in my fucking <laughs> closet that when i fall asleep he comes out and fucks everything up like if you want to be happy you got to go meet that dude figure out why he's in your closet why he's so mean you got to get him a meal and you don't want to because he stinks so bad but you know what i mean you have to like come to grips with that dude but if you don't ever open up the closet door I mean, aren't those the dudes that are drinking and beating up their wives and and blaming all their problems on their fucking boss? And you know what I mean? It's like at least we're in we have a job that affords us the time to sort of figure that bullshit out, the meditation bullshit out. The, The trick is you just can't like lounge in all that leisure time it's like you you have to like keep moving you know what i mean you can't just like stay in the am i happy or am i not like self-fucking masturbation with your brain stage you have to like actually meditate actually keep you know pushing forward and get to a place where well thank god i've used my free time that's afforded to me because i've started making movies to to like you know be happier in general I don't know if you finished, but my therapist, that was the hard point of what you said, like realizing, yeah, that was crappy. And then, but, you know, revisit it. Don't look at it as so awful. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why I judge it? Just like, you know, go, your go check it out. And, you know, it's very, it's very Christmas Carol. You know, it's very like, you know, you're going with the ghost of Christmas past and you're wandering through your life. And, you know, the first couple of years of therapy, you think everything's fucking horrible. Like every situation was bad. And then you realize that, you know, you take that trip again with the ghost of Christmas past and you revisit all these moments and you think everybody's just trying to do the right thing, you know. Did you have that point of like, I mean, I guess with you said you had a history of mental illness, but I was one of those people that dealt with going to therapy meant like I was I was broken. You know, there was some something I needed to fix. And I had a point where I knew that I just knew I had to go because I knew I was going to it was just going to get worse and worse. But I didn't. Well, the, the problem with that stuff is that the symptoms of most mental illnesses are are also prevalent in the lives of very healthy people. So you end up being like, man, I was really depressed last week. And then somebody goes, I was too. Wednesday, Ooh, what a gloomy day. And you're like, ah, it's different. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I carved my name in my dick, you know? Like, <laughs> like, like, and, and then I X'd it out. Like, it's, it's not normal gloom, you know? It's not like depression mode and, you know, fucking... Ben and Jerry's. And- Dude, I would have anxiety so bad. <clears throat> Here we go. Anxiety so bad that it, I would break out into hives. So on hot summer days, people would just see me in long sleeve shirts. Yeah. And I looked like a junkie because I just wouldn't roll my sleeves up or anything. It, was just, it would just break out all over on my feet and my arms. It's the worst. Well, what's funny about like realizing these things is I, I, I'm going to segue back to music just, just because I can. Like I, after I got back, there was one day in therapy where uh, I came back home and I realized all of a sudden I like saw all this negative shit all over my apartment. You know, like I had that like true black metal photography coffee book and I saw, you know, it's like Lords of Chaos and it's just like, you know, you know, Venom fucking posters and, and whatever else was on my walls. And I was like, put some of this away. In fact, I'm going to get rid of some of this stuff. Like every day I don't need to wear like a catatonia fucking t-shirt or, and, and I started thinking like, why do I like heavy music? Like, why do people like heavy music? It's usually anger. (laughs) I mean, is it? I mean, 
Well, <clears throat> after a certain age, you know, that's always been my like. Who's listening to hardcore when they're twenty eight? You know. Yeah. I also like, I always think about like, what, what makes music heavy? Like, I feel like we think heavy music has a lot of distortion and it's fast and screaming, but like, that's, that's just, why is that no, heavy? Why is someone heavy. just He's talking, talking heavy? Spiritually heavy music. <laughs> well, but, you know, but not, I mean, not just that, but like, also like you're making a choice to say, I like music that you don't like, you know, you're, you're definitely making like a, a, a left-handed, yeah. you're trying to separate yourself from the, from the pack from, yeah. and then I... I mean, my theory about it was, you know, like the faster than crazier the music. Of course, it started with Iron Maiden and it just sort of went all the way to like Red Harvest or whatever I'm listening to now. Um, but but along the way, I've just like gotten rid of like all the bad heavy music. I own. like no more Hatebreed. Like, what the hell was I thinking <laughs> listening to that and Bane and whatever the hell right. else? Um, now it's just like really great musicianship heavy music. <laughs> or like ISIS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is like, super heavy, but also so progressive and interesting. Com- completely. And I, I, I've, I've wondered if like, you know, like, is my, my, like maybe my brain is so ADD and there's such a tornado going on in my head that that silence in a room, it, it just freaks me the fuck out, you know? I always need a little bit of ambient noise somewhere. And maybe the heavy music, which is also not unlike a tornado, maybe it like balances out the frequency so there's some kind of white calm. noise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it kind of is white noise, a lot of that kind of music. It is. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, none of it, it is. unless you can really play it, most of it wouldn't sound very good acoustic. Because there's not dynamics to it. It's kind of, it's literally turn it on and go from the beginning all the way to the end of it. Yeah. I mean, what it has, it's, it, it has, a, it has adrenaline, it has force, it has, you know, and, and it sort of like puts your feelings in perspective a little bit, you know, like if, if I'm angry and all that's playing is Bill and Sebastian, I'm going to get angrier and angrier, <laughs> you know, like, but, 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 you know, like it's, you know, if you listen to Behemoth, it's sort of, you sort of think like, wow, those guys are really angry. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, sort of like t- it, it, you know, like sort of like you know, it tones you down. Like therapy is such a black hole conversation. Like you just can't get. Like it's just such a powerful little drug that it's so tough to like, you know, like especially if you're, if, if, if you're like a yeah. practitioner of it. If you go, and I mean, as someone who's been going for years myself, it's yeah. I really want to start going. I had a couple of bad experiences with it, but I feel, lately, I, like it's the so last couple of months, right I've been. Guy. I know yeah, it's like, like, I've been yeah. like going online. And like no one takes my insurance. I'm oh, like man. I don't know who's good. Yeah. I want to it's go like somewhere near me, but 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 therapy is not the area you need to be saving money. Yeah. Right, right. You no, know what I mean? Like, no. well, that's just where my brain goes. No, first. no, no. My my North Carolina brain is just like better to have a bad therapist. And pay thirty five dollars a fucking right, session, right, right. and I'm like, <laughs> right. no, that's not right. No, Better totally to pay right. three hundred dollars a session yeah. and save fucking money, not jerking off to Zappos every day. <laughs> totally, totally. Paul Schneider, ladies and gentlemen, if you are not inspired by that, then um, we well, probably weren't listening. If so, you should check out Going Off Track. It's a really good podcast. We have crazy guests. Um, who knew that Paul Schneider was in Jonah's circle of buddies? Thursday dudes just happened to, and like he, I learned recently, Paul Schneider was in the, he went, that film school is where Danny McBride and Joni Hill, Jody Hill came from. Yes. And the guy, David Green. David Gordon Green. David Gordon Green. They all, like that, I don't know if that was his class. Or was I it, think it was. I think him and Steve Padula, from, all those dudes are all friends. All those dudes. Yeah. 
I I just listened to the great podcast WTF with Mark Marin and Danny McBride was talking about that school and was right after we recorded Paul Schneider's and I just felt like this synergy in the <laughs> podcast verse that we were all connected. It was glorious. If you enjoyed that podcast and that interview, please support Going Off Track. Uh, check us out on iTunes if you haven't gotten this already from there. Go to facebook.com slash going off track. Give us a like. Give us a good review on iTunes if you dug it. Uh, what else am I missing? Oh, we have a website, goingofftrack.com, which has some fun stuff. There's a Twitter. Twitter at going off track. Off track. Did I say on? Oh, you said going off track. Off. You got it. You All got right. it this time. Trying to be more like a DJ. They talk without pausing and saying uh and stuff and I just always sound like I'm caffeinated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or more thoughtful than I am. Because like, well, he's taking his time. I'm not. I just don't know what word I'm gonna choose next. This podcast was produced by Brad Worrell, and by produced I mean he made it all sound good. Seriously. He remixes Jonah every week. Jonah's actually a uh, Jonah sounds, he doesn't have to remix anything. He's, he's a three-year-old. Why would, yeah. Why would you remix it to sound like this? <laughs> Clearly, this has not been remixed. See, I, I, he is auto-tuned, though. He is the only one I have I to auto-tune. auto-tune. Your pitch is a little bit off. Yeah, he's pitchy. Yeah. As someone who's also very nasal, power brother. <laughs> Talk right through him. Uh, and uh, booking, of course, Jonah Bear, who called up Paul. You get everybody with your Rolodex. It's actually pretty cool. I know, I know, Mike. I've done nothing. <laughs> done nothing for this. Mike Not, just taking over the conversation as usual. Yeah. God, Mike again. Sorry. Uh, next week, go check us out uh, on Friday. Or if you're one of our lucky listeners who gets a preview episode, you will hear us Thursday. And uh, we'll see you then. All right. Cue music. Cue <laughs> music.